Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. How you doing, Adam? Hanging in there. That's what I like to hear. I'm, uh, I'm the cat on the branch. <laughs> Hang in there, baby. I don't want you yeah. to lose your grip. You know, here's the, the awful truth about the hang in there poster. Cat's going to be fine. Even if he, even if he lets go of the branch, he's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, you're going to land on your feet, just like that cat would. He's got like 14 lives in him. You can tell by looking at him. <laughs> he's going to be great, as long as he stays out of the street. That's one place the cats can't go. Yeah. There's a cat in my neighborhood that I see sometimes. This is like the most relaxed cat of all time. It's the only cat that Darwin has ever gotten anywhere near. <laughs> Because Darwin will, like, bark his head off at this cat and then, like, carefully approach and smell the cat. And the cat stays lying there like, yeah, go ahead. I don't, I don't give a fuck. Is there anything as dumb looking as a sneaky dog? <laughs> <laughs> no. Dogs are not. <laughs> Our dogs both have that, that sneak maneuver. Yeah. And you're not camouflaged, buddy. Yeah. You're not, you're not cloaked. <laughs> you have not done anything to plausibly conceal yourself. But this cat, one thing that it does that blows my mind is that it, I've seen this multiple times, that it will, it will like decide to plop itself down and take a nap in between the curb and the wheel of a parked car. <laughs> yeah. If, that, if somebody gets in that car and drives away, they're not going to know that cat's there. No, no one's going to know a cat was there. No, it's going to turn into cat grease. Rose. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I have been debating whether I wanted to mention this on the show or not, but it's like a kind of major thing that's happening in my life, and I feel like our listeners have uh, have gotten us this far and probably deserve to know. Uh, I've uh, my wife and I have uh, have bought a house. We love it when the homeowner gets involved with the renovation. Wow. Very weird timing to buy a house. It's the classic plumber's lament. Yeah, especially since the house's last occupants died so mysteriously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we've been saving for like five years, and this was kind of when it was going to happen if it was going to happen. Yeah. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Yeah, we're, um, we're getting, getting ready to move in. We got a, a few things that we need to do. My, uh, my mom and dad are coming down from the Bay Area to uh, to help me out. My mom is going to make curtains for all of our windows. She's bringing the sewing machine. My dad's going to help me build a, a pergola in the backyard. So kind of a good news, bad news situation, <laughs> sounds like. Hey, uh, does your mom's curtains match the drapes? <laughs> I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> My mom listens to this show. <laughs> Well, you're about to find out, and uh, all of your house guests are about to, too. That'll be a delight. They're never going to leave, Ben. Yeah. You get them on projects, forget it. That guest room is theirs. Yeah, yeah. I thought that guest room would be mine. That's why I'm so upset by this. That guest room is going to be my wife's office for the foreseeable future. I mean, I think part of the impetus here was we're in a, a quite a small 
uh, rental apartment and uh, moving into this place. Uh, it doesn't have uh, it's it's a two bedroom, but I will be able to take all of my crap out of the second bedroom and put it in this weird back building attached to the garage that uh, is going to become my studio. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we can, like, put a inflatable mattress in there for you. The realtor and, didn't call it the meth-making facility of the previous tenant, but... Right. Uh, anybody that smells it knows what it was. <laughs> the show's going to start to get pretty weird once the studio's built in that thing. Yeah. Pretty exciting uh, situation for you. I was thinking about it the other day, and I was reflecting on, oh man, like I like I've been working toward this since before I had a Star Trek podcast with my friend Adam. It's been in the works for a really long time. I don't remember a time pre-podcast. <laughs> Those are the before times to me. Yeah, well, I mean, I did bonk you on the head super hard to convince you to start this thing with me. So, yeah, you got me caveman style. Just, I'm just dreading the day you're on vacation in some tropical paradise and a coconut falls from a tree and you, you know, realize what a folly you've been engaged in in these past few years. Uh, eventually I'll come too. <laughs> but um, all that is to say, uh, I am uh, feeling very lucky and very excited and uh, honestly couldn't uh, imagine being able to do this without the support of our listeners. So, uh I guess I would have had to find a different way to make a living if if the podcast hadn't started. Uh, and it's the I, house that the Friends of DeSoto built. Yeah, you, you can really think of it that way. Um, well, you know, you know, you owe them a place to crash anytime they come through, Ben. Now, uh, yeah, yeah. That's the obligation. If you if you can demonstrate uh, that you have access to the bonus feed at the door, we will show you into the guest room. Wow. That sounds horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, my door is always open to a friend of DeSoto. But you have to find me first. Right. So, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I I just felt like I was... I don't want to feel like I'm bragging, because... It's going to be a big part of your life for a long time, and to ignore it on the show... Like the show is us and we are the show. Right. Is is to be dishonest, I yeah. think. So anyways, um I hope I hope this doesn't come across as like a gloat or something cuz uh, cuz I love you guys and I I'm I'm coming from a place of deep appreciation. I'm I'm going to address the friends of DeSoto here. Oh yeah. I'm looking right into the camera when I do that. Mhm. Uh, I've seen the house friends of DeSoto. Uh he's not bragging. <laughs> <laughs> needs a lot of work it does it does need a shitload of work it it's in uh it's in not great shape right now it is what you call a fixer-upper you son of a bitch you moved the cemetery but you left the bodies didn't you you remember uh the, the beginning of money pit that's that's where we're at right now we're in the we're in the first act of money pit yeah the uh the tub has not fallen through the floor yet right but it could. <laughs> Don't overfill the tub, Ben. That's my advice. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, do you want to get into the episode we came to talk about today, Adam? Yeah. It's Deep Space Nine Season 7, Episode 7. Lucky episode today, huh? Mm. It's called Once More Unto the Breach. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. And uh, Worf has 
kind of become the nosy bar patron at this point. O'Brien and Bashir talking about O'Brien and Bashir stuff. Yeah. You are both wrong. Why don't you butt the hell out, Worf? This doesn't concern you. Do me a favor. Just mind your business, please. What the fuck? Like, this is a, a fun kind of bar hang, right? Just kind of like <clears throat> debating some bullshit topic. I think that if you wrote this in 2020, though, Worf would have, like, a way more, like, like you know, Davy Crockett was a part of an imperialist adventure <laughs> stealing land from Mexico. <laughs> I have experienced a cowboy-style holodeck recreation <laughs> where I shot Commander Data over and over again. Like, he has experience with this kind of scene, but he, yeah, he's not interested in having a conversation. He's interested in uh in in a monologue and then he leaves and i love on his way out the door we get that three shot of like all three of them watching him go uh mourn o'brien and bashir i love that composition yeah very fun Worf's in a mood and he goes home and uh he gets a knock on the door who could it be but dahar master core dahar master core hell yeah this is one of many requests that Worf has gotten over the years help me die Worf yeah <laughs> is basically what core's message is nobody is gonna ride harder for you dying an honorable death if you ask them for help with something like that than Worf show some pride in your accomplishments you've earned it I will try Worf has a body count he really has a track record here <laughs> that is dependable for someone like core yeah so uh, he fills a couple of flagons and they sit down to enjoy a little bit of blood wine. And what Cor explains is that he has a, he's actually had a hard time getting war work lately. He's, uh, he's pissed too many people off. He's on the war unemployment line. <laughs> it's a tough spot to be. I, this is all Worf's fault, though. Worf should be interrogating this moment a little further because this is Dahar Master Core, after all. Right. Uh, why can't he get a job? But uh, he never asks. He does not ask. Worf is not an inquisitive man, ever. We come into Martok's office and he's uh, he's working with this old like adjutant guy. I'm, I'm going to call him Klingold because he's an old Klingon. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's do that. And uh, this guy, this guy's very sad. And his his Klingon name is Derok, which is just too much like Derek to me. That's yeah. what I want to call him. <laughs> Except there are no old Dereks. There's something uh, very tragic about this character because you know that he's not like what it made me think is Kor really needs to check his glory privilege because this guy's never going to get in a glorious battle where he he goes out with honor, right? He's too old. I mean, look at him. He's so old. With his loose loaf and old <laughs> batleth. Gross. This sounds like an innocuous professional favor right. to ask, which is why it's so shocking. Hey, we got a uh, Jahar master hanging around the station. He's looking for a command. You've got some uh, some spare ships. Why don't you throw him one? You seen that guy? He's great. <laughs> as far as Dahar goes, he has mastered the whole thing. Martok's like, is that blood wine on your breath? <laughs> what the fuck, man? Sober up before asking me such a dumbass question, and Martok is fucking pissed. Kor, the Dahar master. Not another word! Do you hear not one word? He really fucking hates Kor, but 
uh, it does not clarify why he hates Korra in this scene. Classic Worf eyes to theme on this one. We get kind of a Worf eye double take here, too, before going into it. I feel yeah. like they had a couple seconds to pad here. Let's just stay on the shot. I'm not calling cut yet, Michael Dorn. Yeah. Why don't you flash me a couple of those eyes? Stay in it. Stay in it. <laughs> he is like often asked to walk out into a hallway and then pause in front of the camera and absorb what just went down. This is the stuff we laugh about in soap operas. It's so interesting that it's not ever funny in Star Trek, and yet it is like a way that Star Trek looks and feels and yeah. has for years and years. You, except you never uh, push in in Star Trek, right? That's right. the difference. On a soap opera, you're making that a, a move. I think that like early TNG, they push in, you know, and it's like they're they're not above like the dun dun dun. Yeah, we get very little Captain Cisco in this episode. Uh, yeah, but what we true. do get of him is in the scene after the opening credits where he discusses the idea of a cavalry raid with Martok. They're going to take a bunch of birds of prey and just kind of like run around behind enemy lines, smashing shit and making big problems for the Dominion's ability to birth Jem'Hadar and manufacture starships, etc. We cut to Damar and Wei-Yoon, and Damar is just face down <laughs> in a pool of his own vom. It's a good thing he passed out uh, face down instead of face up. Like you don't want an asphyxiation issue yeah. there if you've been mm. pounding Kanar like Damar has been. <laughs> we cut back to, uh, to the station where uh, Martok on the Chitang is uh, kind of overseeing re-rigging the ship for this operation they're uh, you know getting some last minute uh, repairs it, uh, it arranged for and whatnot and Worf again asks Martok hey listen I've got a great idea why don't we do something w slash r slash t the honor of core I wish to speak with you about core clear the bridge it's like he called Martok a patak to his face yeah right I love this moment <laughs> Bartok says, I did not expect to be hearing you call me a Patak in front of everyone. And Worf said, what, man? It's just freedom of speech. Doesn't do anybody any harm. Sticks and stones, baby. We get a nice centerpiece scene for J.G. Hertzler here. You hear a storm in the distance, and then the spotlight comes up on Martok, <laughs> where he delivers the story. Yeah. The centerpiece story about why he hates Kor. It's a long story with a lot of beats. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's basically about a class war issue within the Klingon Empire. And, you know, all of history can be thought of as the history of class struggle in a lot of ways, Adam. Sure. And this, this is one such example. Martok's family were dedicated soldiers, many generations, and Martok's father knew that uh, Martok had a lot of talent, wanted him to be an officer, which would have been kind of a first for their family from the sound of it. And yeah. uh, Martok did not get to go to... Uh, West Point! <laughs> 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 because Kor uh, had something to do with the like admissions committee and, and saw that he didn't have like a, a noble lineage and so struck his name from the rolls. Kalish 
recruiters for ROTC in my high school. <laughs> yeah, so he got, like, on some Klingon ships, you got to serve as a civilian. Yeah. And so he ended up on one of these ships as a civilian, probably right. what, like cleaning and preparing Gach <laughs> for a, a crew of hundreds? That's Not uh, an easy life, but, uh, but what happened was... Uh, bangers were dropped on a ship and he ended up getting a battlefield promotion yeah which like, is something i wanted to see during a, like via flashback where is so the flashback bad. to him like personally repelling a romulan boarding party by we like push in on martok like old martok with one closed eye and then it dissolves to a younger youthful martok that eye opens and he's like got the got the white chef's yeah yeah he's using on. he's using a cleaver to like cut up some gah and some some romulans like jump through a hull breach and he starts chopping their heads off there's like an old-timey flapper version of Meloda playing. Like it's, <laughs> he's like working in a like very clearly a Klingon diner on the ship. <laughs> Things were just so much more simple back then. Yeah, a lot of people of Martok's particular political stripe will tell you it was a golden age, but it wasn't uh-huh. a golden age for everyone. <laughs> Least of all those Romulans invading. So. What's fucked up is like we we reach the end of Martok's story and he's like, and that is why I can never be on a crew with Kor. And Worf for a beat is like, well, I've put him on the Ninth Fleet already and I did that before walking in here. So, yeah. <laughs> and not just the Ninth Fleet, but specifically the Chitang. Like, I, I don't know why Worf didn't put Kor... Just on a not Martok ship of of all the ships that he could have picked. It's like Worf wrote this episode. That, <laughs> that's the sort of sense that it makes for that decision to happen. Because there's no fuck. How big is the Ninth Fleet? Not very big, I guess. No, it's a it's a little. I mean, and especially for this raid, it's like it's like five little ships, right? You don't want to date anyone from the Ninth Fleet. You're just gonna run into them all the time if you break up. Mm. It's a bad idea. Yeah. Martok is like, fine, like, do whatever the fuck you want. Just keep him out of my way. Like, as long as he doesn't become my problem, I'm, I'm going to look past this. As long as you don't uh, staff him on my bridge, won't be a problem. <laughs> right. Out of sight, out of mind. That's fine, Worf. You know, whatever. I mean, that would be insane, Worf. And Worf is like, um... I do not know how interpersonal relationships work. <laughs> Golden the Golden Cotton. Back on Deep Space Nine, Esri is having a hang with Kor, and they're uh, they're doing the catch up of old friends. You know, Kor knew Kurzan and Jadzia. They fought mm-hmm. and died together, yeah. and uh, so he's kind of you know testing Esri for all this stuff. Uh, Worf kind of like comes around the corner on the promenade and. Uh, you feel a chill come through the room, and Esri knows that's her cue to get out of there. Yeah. So she scrams, and uh, and Worf joins Kor at the table. He's like, Worf, I, I can't believe you're making me work under someone from the Ketha Lowlands, which everyone <laughs> knows is the real shithole of Kronos. Yeah. The alien trash of the galaxy. Worf's like, what do you want me to do? There's one possible ship I could stick you on in the Ninth Fleet. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and Kor is grateful, like, grateful to have anything, but, like, it makes clear that this is, like, 
such a one-sided hate that Martok has. Like, Kor doesn't even remember, you know, he probably, like, signed a document that somebody put in front of him without reading it, and it struck Martok's names from, name from a list. If Martok is a true Klingon, he should appreciate that. He does not. He's slashed so many palms of hands over the years uh, <laughs> to make deals that all the palms look alike to him. Well, you would think that Martok would have a little bit of understanding of this, because, like, the B-plot of this episode is about how many documents Martok is signing. Like, Derek right. keeps coming up to him with just a stack of iPads. He's become the thing that he hates. Yeah. It's treated with a lot more subtlety than I expected. Core might be a little too old for this assignment, and the first hint of that is that Worf tells him that he's been assigned to the Chetang, and he immediately forgets what ship he's assigned to. <laughs> he's like, hey, before you go, which Tang again? As soon as Worf leaves, Core kind of like closes his eye. He's like, Chetang, Chetang, Chetang. Like does that thing like where you, you meet a new person and you're trying to remember their name. Yeah, he takes out his knife and... Uh, on his palm, he uses it to carve <laughs> Chitang on his palm. <laughs> yeah. There's a shot right after this scene that is like a god shot of the station with yeah. the Klingon birds of prey over it and a bunch of Federation ships under it that really made me sit up in my seat. I loved seeing this. It was so cool looking. Yeah. Any new angle on the station with ships around it is is all right by me. Yeah. One thing that's clear aboard the Chetang is that uh, the crew fucking loves Kor. And if you didn't even know the backstory that Martok said a couple scenes ago, you don't like the thunder stealing. Yeah. Martok's the captain, and there's a real life war hero on board, and they want to suck his gach so hard. <laughs> like, everyone's, like, fighting over it. Yeah. He is the emperor, and Kor is Maximus, and yeah. and unlike the emperor, like, Martok cannot hang when all of the glory is accruing to somebody else. And he really acts like a baby with a poopy diapy for most of this episode. Uh in re in reaction to this like he really fucking can't get over this it's hurtful when someone holds court in your court mm -hmm. and that's what's happening here i felt some sympathy for martok in this scene he's a total fucking bastard later on yeah uh, in a way that that earns far less sympathy for me but right here i sort of get it i feel sympathy for him but i just feel like, as a leader, you've got to play this differently, you know? Here's what I thought. Why aren't there the old-school rules of the Pach involved here? Should they not be threatening to kill each other immediately? <laughs> I feel like this is this is a capital offense, what's happening here in, in the mess hall of the Chetang. Mm. I feel like they should go to knives on it. Yeah, that would have been nice. On the station, uh, we get a scene of Ezri and Kira having a hang. And this was a bit of dialogue that I really liked. Like the opening discussion is about, you know, Ezri kind of experiencing some some kind of weird summarizations of, of what she means to people, just really like skeeving her out. I'm sure it'll pass. And Kira, you know, just kind of offering a friendly ear for this. And Ezri is like impressed with Kira's therapy skills. And then they just start doing bits about what 
Kira would be like as a therapist, and I loved it. You want to try jobs? Yeah, it's pretty fun. They both agree that she'd be terrible. I love funny Kira. Funny Kira is is a mode that we know exists and we don't get to see very often. It's one of the things that makes Kira the total package to me. Mm-hmm. I felt even more in love with her in this scene. Odo doesn't deserve her. You're crazy. Anyway, Quark overhears their conversation like halfway through it. He's got a tray full of beverages. And at the conclusion of this scene, you're kind of like... What half of that conversation did he hear? Because if he came through midstream, there could be an interpretation of a thing that was unintended. Do you need something? No. You have to remember that Quark is a man with giant ears, so he can hear everything super well. He does not need to be close to the table with a tray full of beverages. Yeah, unless the story doesn't call for him to have gotten the full picture of what they were talking about. So, yeah. In which case, he won't have heard critical context. Do you think if you don't umox in a while, your hearing gets worse? <laughs> like, you really need you oh, really yeah. need to blast those ears. Yeah, he needs uh, to clear out the pipes. To <laughs> yeah. And maybe that was the difference here. It's been uh, a while for Quark, so... Yeah, Quark is seeming gotta, a little pent up in the lobe region. You can't have your parabolic microphone... Covered in cum. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta clean that thing off. <laughs> so it'll work properly. Yeah. So what he tells Odo, because he's he's like, he's shocked when, when he returns to the bar and Odo's like, what are you shocked about? And Quark is like, I think that Esri wants to get back together with Worf. Which we know is like a real taboo in Trill culture, too. And... I wish they'd talked a little bit about that. You know, I know it's not my place to say, but that's like against the rules for their people. And it also sucks for me because I was going to try and make a play or whatever. Right. I don't know why Odo would care, really. It's it's that like, is Odo actually Quark's friend question? This is kind of a mind blower for Quark. He's going to have to come up with a with a next step here. Well, they needed an F story in this episode, so... Right. Um, Back on the Chitang, uh, General Martok is about to fly off the handle about what Kor represents to him when Worf, anticipating this, asks Martok to tell the assembled crew what the plan is, and uh, he describes their their battle plan for sending a couple of ships in to to cause some some light damage to the first installation they're attacking and then bringing the full force of their fleet to bear when the rescue crews come out. It's a real, it's a real fucked up, uh, you know, like the Geneva Conventions explicitly <laughs> forbid the kind of war making that Martok is up to here. <laughs> you aren't but, allowed to attack the hospital ship. Yeah, but Kor is like super into it. Glad you approve. Of course. And... You know, like any like any old timer can make a comparison to a previous experience of his, but it really feels yeah. like it's it's usurping some of Martok's thunder. He's an old that has the same five stories to tell, and so he pivots the conversation into one of those stories. You were Caleb Ball. Of course, he was. When the Trelka Five mission begins, Kor begins to lose it 
fairly soon. Yeah, there's a red alert and, you know, everybody's being summoned to the bridge. And it becomes clear that he is suffering from some kind of disorientation. I'm supposed to be somewhere. Too many headbutts over the years, probably, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah. This is a pretty wild sequence we get of bird of prey as fighter jet. Yeah, very cool to see the in-atmosphere combat tactics of the Klingons. Yeah. It's a combination of, like, practical models that they blew up and CG ships that they added. It feels a lot more like Star Wars than Star Trek, the way the the ships move around. I can hold it! Pull up! No, I'm all is gone. I love how much foreshadowing we're given to this raid. Like, I feel like we hear about the specifics of it a couple of times. And I think the the repetition there really serves us when Worf and Martok go down during. Because when Core takes command and authorizes a second pass, yeah. everyone knows what a huge mistake that is because of how much we know about the plan we know that a second pass is going to be fatal because by that point everyone's going to know where they are and the defenses are going to be ready the element of surprise is what this plan was all about and yeah. and sacrificing that is is dumb they're not trying to seize this installation they're not trying to completely destroy it they're trying to inflict a lot of damage that will be costly and distracting for the dominion to deal with right and when, you know, Martok gets, like, knocked out of his seat and is, like, writhing on the floor dealing with injuries when Kor kind of, like, seizes the advantage and starts issuing commands. And what becomes clear is that he believes that he is in the Battle of Caleb Four. The Battle of Maxius, sir. That's what it is. Which was an ancient, by our standards, battle that he participated in against the Federation. We know Worf and Martok are going to be fine because no girders have dropped from the ceiling of the bridge here. Right. It's all sparks, no girders, I would say, is is what yep. they're dealing with. What are you doing now? Exactly. There is a moment here where, like, Martok isn't quite with it to get up on his feet. He's sort of mumbling shit about Kor's stupid plan. And then he gets with it enough to throw a knife at Kor in order to kill him. <laughs> How many times did you watch the knife catch? I watched it several times. It's, it's got to be in reverse, right? With like a, with like a wire. I thought the same thing. I couldn't quite figure it out because there are several seconds after the catch that look like they play forward in a plausible way that haven't been just reversed footage. Yeah. They really hide it well, however they did it. I thought it was a notably good sequence. I mean, it's it's an episode with particularly good visual effects all the way through, and this was a real highlight. I mean... How does Martok have any depth perception for knife throwing, though? <laughs> he, should, he should be winging that thing across the bridge, and, except he totally bullseyes Kor here yeah. if Worf doesn't catch it. Yeah, Kor would be, Kor would be eating knife. 
I'm trying to imagine an episode where Kor does take the knife to the dome. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he goes out. <laughs> and and like I know this episode is all about giving him the hero's death. It feels like all of season seven is about hero's exits. Yeah. Do you think basically. that uh, do you think that a Klingon bird of prey becomes a an easier target when suddenly everyone on the bridge is screaming to the heavens to let <laughs> Stovokor know a warrior is coming for a, a few seconds? There's no running silent or running cloaked yeah. when, when the screams are happening. <laughs> Escape course, now! Back on uh, Deep Space Nine, uh, Quark actually steps to Esri in the bar. He shoots a shot. This is a scene that starts, like, for some reason Jake is hanging out in the bar and, like, you kind of think he's going to be, like, a part of this scene at the beginning and then he really isn't i kind of thought he was drunk with how he was draped over the bar the way he, he looked is a little drunk yeah but but the more i thought about it the more i was like srock lofton's a tall drink of water i bet they were just folding him over to fit him in frame for how the <laughs> scene was composed you know but he's also just like giving a real chill vibe off you know like if a dabo girl goes on break she's gonna she's gonna find the stool next to him i think giving for some reason, Jake, a a drinking problem in season seven would have been an interesting wrinkle to a little, introduce. A little parallel alcoholism story to, to DeMars. Imagine how much more Captain Sisko would hate Quark for, for over-serving Jake. <laughs> Chief O'Brien, like, radios up to Ops and is like, Sorry, Captain, I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to put off repairing that bully and freighter. There is, like, so much vomit on the promenade right now. And uh, uh, I unfortunately think it was your son. You do not want to clean vomit out of the mesh <laughs> Quark's bar. Was O'Brien in this episode? In the very oh, beginning he's in the, with he's Bashir. he's in that beginning shot, and that's it, that right? That's it, yeah. In this scene, it had been so long since we've been in the B story. I was like, oh, right, there is a B story. <laughs> Here it is. It's Quark and Esri, and the thing that that affected me most about this scene wasn't Quark shooting his shot and potentially missing it's how right he is about what he's saying about Worf. Worf has done nothing and I mean nothing to deserve you Yeah. whether or not Esri is interested in getting back into Worf is is irrelevant when you just think about the truth of Worf not deserving her if she did desire that. It is kind of amazing to see Quark show his whole asshole to Esri and her be like oh that was cute let me give you a little kiss on the cheek Armin Shimmerman is great in this scene like he gets the spotlight treatment for this moment yeah and the, the shot of him before the kiss like there's shot reverse shot of them yeah the one before after he shoots his shot and there's like a pregnancy in oh shit like the realization washes over him really good moment for him as an actor I thought and I think also a good moment for him as an actor when his character is under the false impression that she has fallen in love with him because he goes yeah. back and like gloats about this to for some reason Jake and is excited in a way that is infectious like you feel you feel so bad for him yeah. for how excited he is she loves me <laughs> what everyone knows a person like this like when when you're crushing on a person everything is meaningful He's engaged in a bit of lobeful thinking. Yep. <laughs> you you get mad at me when I do something that might be the title. 
<laughs> it's very unfair. He's the king of low food thing. Here's a question, Ben. Is a Moscow Mule the first real drink we've ever heard ordered at Quarks or wow. on either Deep Space Nine or TNG? I, I, I cannot remember a real drink order like this. Happening. Aside from like root beer, it might be yeah. it might be the I mean, first it, time. Like an actual cocktail. Yeah, yeah. That it's isn't not a like Tolarian sunset or a yeah. whatever. That's what I mean. That really got my attention. Yeah. Why, why aren't they drinking more real drinks on Star Trek? I don't know. Moscow Mule is one of the few cocktails that is good enough to make it all the way into the future. Yeah. I mean, if you try a Tamarian Sunset, you're never going to want like a martini ever again. You're like, fuck that. Here's a tip. Uh, speaking of the Moscow Mule, mm. Moscow Mule is is famously the ginger beer and vodka combination in the cup that, that sometimes a place will make you leave a deposit for. Right, because they give you that uh, that copper mug that uh, is so Sounds, precious. I wouldn't do that with with ginger flavored soda water, which is what I'm drinking right now. In well, fact, yeah. I would uh, I would encourage anyone not to get ginger flavored soda water <laughs> at all for any reason. Wow, that's it a hot not, tip. It's not good, not good by itself. Not good with anything else. Okay, I I would have. I would have bought it if I'd seen it, but I'm glad I know. I've done a thing that I'm hoping you will learn from my <laughs> example. I mean, I, there's so many mistakes I watch you make, and <laughs> I'm grateful that I am not going to make those same mistakes. Yeah. It's it's basically <laughs> the foundation of our friendship. <laughs> more, more, more. Dear, sweet, more, more, more. Here, buddy. more. Stop. Have a time. Back on the Chitang. Core eats alone as Martok walks in, and this is a scene that made me feel like making fun of an old with a feeble mind might be without honor. This is extremely punching down. This takes Martok way past the uh, realm of redeemability, because, yeah, they're like, they're dunking on him for being disoriented and or uh, demented like he yeah is some kind of degenerative brain illness as far as we can tell and martok is like a fucking cafeteria bully with his friends dragging core for for that fact don't you have any respect for one of the greatest heroes of the empire Core does that thing like all he can do really is have that parting shot of like all I can say is live fast and die young my bros savor the fruit of life my young friends Boring. it's a real cats in the cradle moment right like you'll you'll be like me one day yeah you fucking assholes it does make Martok seem like a jerk but then like I watch how much fun he's having with his friends and I am tempted by it don't you go dying on me later with Worf uh, the greatest indignity has occurred Kor has been quietly demoted uh, the plan that they conspire about is uh, is forcing Kor onto Gowron poor Gowron yeah what's he gonna do with Kor it's it's a sad plan because it's basically like let's find him a desk job somewhere on on Kronos and Gowron famously uh, with tons of patience 
This yeah. is gonna go great. Yeah, deeply a deeply patient man. Um <laughs> but then they uh you know, they're like they're trying to make their escape from the Dominion and they've got just a swarm of ticks flying up their asshole. And they're gaining on us. They check the fold in space and uh <laughs> they do not like what they see. No, yeah. It's loaded loaded with them. And um and Worf comes up with a very like Starfleet solution to this very Klingon problem which is like graviton burst make their make their warp fields collapse so that they have to drop out of warp and fly at impulse for I mean if we can get them at impulse for 10 minutes we'll be home free Am I the idiot that found the math that Worf did in his head completely unbelievable? <laughs> he basically does a college word problem <laughs> in his head about like a train leaving leaving Chicago at 3 p.m. going 60 miles an hour like he knows exactly the amount of time to distract the ticks in order to to make it to Phoenix wow I did those kind of word problems in high school Adam I went to a technical college I mean, like, the solution here is obvious, right? Like, they're going to have to do, like, one of the ships is going to have to drop back and do a suicide run to force these ticks uh, into impulse power. And Worf volunteers as the person that's obvious to do it. And it's like, Worf, you're not the obvious person to do it. There's one person here that is more obvious than anyone. It's me, Jake! This is what ruined the surprise for me. Because on the one hand, I'm like... This is the perfect time to kill Worf. He's got nothing else to live for. His stock is at its lowest. <laughs> kill Worf. I mean, somebody kill Worf. It's at its lowest for Worf, but he wasn't in the mess hall making fun of somebody for <laughs> right for a brain right. illness. Martok's stock in this episode may be lower than Worf's. Yeah, I uh, I actually shorted Martok's stock right before I sat down mm. to watch this episode, and I made a nice little profit. I mean, either we're headed for a brutal recession, or maybe we're not. In other words, somebody's wrong here. And I'm actually going to invest in Worf stock after this episode because I think I think it's going up after this. They wrote themselves into this corner, though, that does not make the impact of the surprise hit as hard, you know, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. Because it was always going to be core on this death mission. It it eventually becomes core by the use of his hypospray in the transporter room. He hyposprays Worf right to the ground. Well, the, the thing that I wanted more than anything was to have Klingold be involved in the in the heist, you know? Like, he has that scene with Kor where he's like, yeah, here's what their plan is. They've got to, like, confuse the sensors and shoot a bunch of mm-hmm. torpedoes and get a graviton pulse going. And Kor sees all the angles. Like, his his yeah. mind is, is flagging, but the, the tactics of this are totally obvious to him. And Klingold is like, yeah, like, you know, Worf is a capable officer, but this is like, this has got to be perfect the first time. And he, I just don't think he has the experience for it. But Klingold should have been part of distracting Worf. He should be on that ship too, right? Like, he needs a fucking yeah. pretext to die with honor. Another thing that was lacking from this moment, I thought, was a musical accompaniment that 
grounded Worf in that kind of emotional sacrifice. There was nothing about the scene other than the dialogue that made me think there was a chance of Worf dying. Yeah, they don't make you believe it. You could obscure it a little bit by giving us a little bit of like minor key right. peanut butter on it. And like, if you think about like the, you know, next time on Deep Space Nine ad that runs on the syndicated TV station, right? set it up as this is the episode where Worf like dies in battle right next week like Worf is going is is going to go die in battle come on i'm in it is a good day for core to die a better day for core to die than it is for Worf. i thought it was so interesting that in an episode with some pretty best in breed visual effects this climactic battle in which a long-standing Star Trek character dies it happens entirely off-screen. Yeah. But I think it's a pretty effective off-screen battle. Like, it's it's getting the news of this battle from the sensors on the bridge of the Chitang mm-hmm. and holding off on the blood wine until we know it went well. You know, what's great about it in context is that they're growing distance from core means that they'll know less and less about the details of what's happening with him. Right. And that is serving the story in that the further out they get and the less that that they know means the more successful the mission has become as it goes. And you can tell like multiple stories in that scene too, because Martok starts the scene believing that Worf is running that ship. And I, I think that they could have pegged that emotional needle a little bit more. Martok like mourning the inevitable death of his brother because he sent him to to stop the onrushing Jem'Hadar would have been yeah. a little bit better. But like the, the switcheroo when Worf comes in with his classic reversal of his famous line. Today was not my day to die. You expect me to believe that the Chitang doesn't have a transporter chief, though? That seems like they're really slumming it there on the Chitang. Yeah, they they don't have a Chobrian. <laughs> no, they sure don't. Anyway, it's uh, it's mission accomplished. We get a dissolved to mission accomplished, basically. Yeah, and a a you know singing a song in the honor of the people that died to do that at the end, and. Uh, this got me, man. Like I was, I was uh, goosebumping it on uh, on the couch watching that moment in the episode. I thought I heard singing, sir. I love that Martok doesn't sing. Mm-hmm. That detail of him taking his grudge to the grave, so Adam-like, <laughs> so perfect. So you liked that he was like you, Martok Stock. Back up, baby. <laughs> you want to hold on Martok right now. Mm, just a belly full of hatred. Yeah. Did you like the episode, Adam? You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. There's a really complex idea happening here that I'm not sure is effectively told. Like, I think when you make enough friends and enough enemies in your life you realize how little of a space there is between hate and pity. Mm -hmm. Like when you really have it out for someone, and I don't know what this is like. (laughs) But, But that space is so narrow, and so little can change a person's feelings for another. 
between those two spots specifically. Um, and seeing Martok go through that, I thought was a kind of story that Star Trek rarely tells. Yeah. I think we get a lot of familial conflicts that are neatly solved by the end that feel, you know, familiarly familiar <laughs> to a lot of people. But the grudge is is a thing, too. Yeah. And when you don't have a good relationship to someone, how you navigate that is also a thing. And I think it's a harder story to tell. I think this is why. I liked the episode, and I liked... I think what people like about this episode is, like, we're going to give core the send-off, foundational core, core of of TOS times. Like, yeah. He's a historical figure. And that is the main takeaway to this, but the but the B story takeaway is that disaffected feeling that I think is really difficult stuff to convey. I'm glad it tried. I don't know if it succeeded entirely, but it really made me think. I like your review. I feel really similarly about it. I think that um it's a it's a hard mode episode and that's largely very successful at the things it tries. And yeah. uh yeah, I think it's a, it's a solid one. Thumbs up from me. God, your thumb is gross. <laughs> did, you, did you break that thing mm. as a youth? Yeah. Only people watching the live stream can see how gross it is, though. God, it's like it's like got four knuckles in it. Hey, speaking of uh, things that make me want to stick my thumbs up, Adam, do you want to check and see if we have any priority one messages? Already there. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. Hey! The message goes like this. We're sending this message to the future from a frankly terrible present. We're pretty sure Janeway has been jacking around with the timeline, and hopefully <laughs> by the time this P1 airs, the present will have righted itself. One thing is certain in all timelines, Jim Shimode will be working on their fitness. Oh, that's Jim with a G. Maybe not up in the gym, though, it says parenthetically. Listening to the pod and supporting each other, there's something for everyone on Jim Shimoda. From trap-based intensity to soul-soothing yoga, come check us out. Yeah. And uh, that call to action is is to seek out the the Jim Shimoda, Jim with a G group. Uh, I know them to be over on Facebook at the moment. I've met several of their members yeah. uh, back when we used to tour. Really, uh, really good-looking muscle definition on everyone that I've met from that group. Yeah. Enviable to me as I'm more of a, a sinewy body type. Yeah. There's a there's ectomorph, there's endomorph, there's sinewomorph. That's me. <laughs> yeah. If you've met we've met our share of trap queens and kings. It's true. You know what the Jim Shimoda shirt continues to be an unlikely an unlikely seller for us. Yeah. Month in and month out, people are, are going for the Jim Shimoda shirt. We do, we do keep selling that shirt. Adam, our next priority one message is from David, and it's to Elizabeth, and it goes like this. Happy belated birthday to she who is my wife, and congratulations on becoming a tenured professor. Wow. Whoa. 
You continue to enrich my life immeasurably ever since that Trek-themed cocktail party when you let me make you a last word. It is green. Last word's a good drink. It is a good drink. Being your husband has been a fantastic adventure and the greatest honor I can imagine. I love you the most. Wow. Very sweet. Very, very sweet. Congratulations on becoming tenured, Elizabeth. That's fucking tough to do. It's badass. Super badass. Wow. Well, uh, some some fun P1s there. I hope uh, more people get P1s for uh, future shows. And uh, the way to do that is by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and uh, setting one up. And hey, don't email us about Jumbotrons. Just set it up at MaxFun. And if you have questions, ask them. They're perfect for that. They're the ones who do it. We don't do it. We, we read what they send us. That's, that's our involvement in it. That's the relationship. That's where it ends. <laughs> hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Take important stuff, stack it up. Doesn't give a fuck, everybody's drunk. And Tasha Yar's getting robot hump. Ben, 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 no! I mean, for me, it could only be Derek the valet, the the old Klingon valet, yeah, who brings a bottle of blood wine to the bridge when he's not sure it's blood wine time. Like, I think it's he very clearly like, is it time for the wine? (laughs) Speaking of shooting shots, that was his shot. Yeah. He brings the wine to the bridge during Kor's mission, mid-mission yeah. even. Bold move. I liked it. He's my drunk Shimoda for it. Yeah. What about you, Ben? Well, well said. He is also my drunk Shimoda, and I think the reason I want to give it to him is knowing everything he knows about that last stand mission and knowing what we know about what Klingons want why does he not go why why doesn't he yeah. just say like i will fucking sit on the bridge with you you know his interests are are so like cores here that's it's an, it's insane and he like be there you're right and he's a character that we like we meet he's being just degraded by martok martok like is openly derisive to him yeah this would be a great way for him to go out like a like a proper klingon Really would. Instead, he uh, he's going to live out his days as an old. Yeah. He's not going to go out like a warrior like that. <laughs> he's going to go out accidentally driving his car through his garage. Gotta get that, get that gold press light. Get that, get that gold press light. Am I right? <laughs> Woo! Yeah! Am I, am I right? <laughs> Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. 
That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, we're going to go out by playing the game of buttholes. The Will of the Prophets, and uh, I will tell you what we will be watching, and I'm hoping you will roll them bones and tell us how we will be watching it, Adam. All right, I can do that. Because next episode is Season 7, Episode 8, The Siege of AR-558. Cisco and the crew fight for their lives during a violent standoff at a key communications outpost. Uh, this is a this is a temp title, right? What's the real title of the episode? That's what it's called. Are you are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> That's the stupidest episode title I think I've ever heard. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, that's 
I mean, this is a show that is that has made its bones on like Shakespearean episode titles that go that go for like three lines that like fill the frame. Yeah, it's what more is like that? a student film script that you know is gonna suck. <laughs> yeah, you're required to learn as you play. Roll. Well, uh, we've got to figure out how we're going to watch an episode with a title like that. <laughs> we're actually in a little bit of danger here, uh, because our runabout is currently on square 20, where just a single square ahead is a space butthole. You know what I'm known for rolling. Yeah. Snake eye. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> couple, uh, squares past that, past that we've got a banger, uh, which, which would knock us five spaces back. It's big trouble. Ahead, and uh, the die's in my hand. Oh boy. I'm nervous. Ben, I've rolled a two. Whoa! Chula! Did I win? Hardly. A two hops us right over the top of that space butthole and uh, plants us firmly on square 22 where it's a regular old episode. Damn. That's great. You and me. Yeah. Uh, I love a nice regular episode, Adam, and I also love... The Friends of DeSoto who go to MaximumFun.org slash join. Uh, you know, the Max Fun Drive is the best time of year to join up and uh, support this show, but it's not actually a bad time of year to do it right now because uh, there's still gifts you get. I think there's still tiers and everything that you can that you can support at. And if you've got it like that, we would super appreciate it. You get access to the bonus feed and all the bonus content. You get all kinds of stuff. It's good. It's good to do. It supports the show, too. Yeah. Give me a break. Like, that's that's what it's really about, right? It's about... It's making sure Ben can move into a haunted house where he lives with his parents. It's about making sure that I can surface my onerous mortgage. It's fantastic. Yeah, so uh, we really, really appreciate it. And uh, we also appreciate folks that uh, tweet about how much they like the show or uh, post about it on other social media. Of course, you can follow our social media at Greatest Trek. We're on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, those are great places to follow because our buddy Bill Tilly runs those. He's like uh, posting memes and, you know, people, you know, the birthdays of actors from beloved Star Trek episodes and all kinds of fun stuff. I gotta thank Adam Ragusi at the end of every episode. Uh, He's one of the reasons why our show sounds so good because he's the person who created the interstitial music uh, based off of the original song that Dark Materia made and then loaned to us way back in the beginning of The Greatest Generation. Dark Materia's gotta be regretting having granted us access to his song, right? Oh, no. We never I mean, heard from him again. <laughs> well, I think that tells the story, right? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> We've heard Dark Materia is great. Yeah. Uh, listen to our other shows. We're uh, in the midst of all of the new Star Trek coming out on The Greatest Discovery. And we're in That's the right. midst of some, uh, some really fantastic films over on the hit war movie podcast, Friendly Fire. Yeah, you want to get into that for sure. Great shows both. And with that... We'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that is sure to have a better title. <laughs> you know we, we have great titles on this show. Mm, sometimes. When I say them. 
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.